Hello and welcome to the first of our video podcasts. Yes, you heard it here first. I'm delighted to share that Anchor, which is the platform that we use to be able to host the uh, the, the podcast on, the Add a Zero podcast, um, uh, announced earlier this year that they were moving towards being able to allow us to be able to provide video podcast as opposed to just audio. Um, and I, I applied through the beta um, model. Um, we got confirmation this morning that we've been accepted and we were able to now upload video and provide video podcasting. And therefore today is the start of series two, if you like. We'll, we'll put all of the other episodes into series one and we'll start a new series with video as an option also. Now, don't get me wrong, before you go any further, um, you can um, audio listen uh, as you have, have done previously and you're more than welcome to, uh, and encouraged to be able to continue to listen if that's your preference. However, we wanted to be able to offer this as an option for if people wanted to be able to see who I am and how I deliver these podcasts going forward. And therefore, series two are going to be a series of video podcasts where you can either audio or watch or either or as long as you stay involved. So all of the previous episodes will be series one. And from here on in, we're going to do video as an option. And today I want to talk to you about something that's incredibly important for both you and your business as a leader um, and going forward is about leadership. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I've spent the last ooh, 20 odd, nearly 30 years um, in and around leadership. I was very fortunate enough to have first of all spent my first 12 years um, out of education in the British Armed Forces and the British Army. Um, through which I was exposed to an exceptional, exceptional um, level of leadership um, with uh, an impressive history and known the world over, um, perhaps not as the biggest fighting force or the best equipped or best financed, but certainly regarded across the world in military circles as one of, if not the most professional fighting forces in the world. And we've only achieved that, one through history and demonstration and competence, but through an exceptional level of leadership that's delivered through Sandhurst training um, and through the various um, non-commissioned uh, officer training centres around the country in order to be able to bring on and develop the leaders of the future. So my first exposure to leadership was at a very young age when I first joined the British Army from um, leaving college and university. But then subsequently, having gone through the ranks within the military, subsequently left, gone into change management, worked at a very senior level in PLC land, if you like, before branching out to become an entrepreneur and then subsequently building and growing businesses with members of staff. I've had a significant exposure to leadership over my professional career. And that culminated in me choosing to do a master's degree in international leadership and development uh, over the last 12, 24 months or so. Um, and then most recently, having just over the last two or three weeks, really, finished reading a book on strengths-based leadership and looking at leadership and leadership strengths and weaknesses to be able to understand and really comes to terms with what does it mean to be an effective leader in 2022 and beyond. Uh, the book that I read was by Tom Rath and uh, Barry Con Conchi, Barry Conchi, 
I'll have to quickly look at my notes just there to be able to read his surname. But nevertheless, strengths-based leadership to be able to understand more about exactly what does it take to be a leader. Now, don't get me wrong. You may not be uh, or may not consider yourself a leader right now. It may be that you're listening to this podcast and you think, well, who am I leading? I'm a, I'm a team of one. Um, it's me, myself and I in the business right now. Or it could very well be that you're an employee and, and thinking about being able to move into the role of entrepreneurship or how better to be a better employee and es escalate through the roles and ranks uh, within your current employment. It could very well be that you're a global CEO and you've got people scattered all over the world that you have to manage in different teams and different environments. Not quite sure what your circumstances are at the point of listening to this, but there is one thing that is key if we want to be able to get the most out of people in the next 12, 24, 36 months going forward. And it ties back to the second of the three flaws in business. If you'll recall from episode one, episode two, when we first talked about the, uh, the Add a Zero methodology and how we first got about and came about it, we identified that there are three flaws that we identified in more than 85% of businesses, which at some degree of level of success will cause a bottleneck and prevent them from successfully continuing to move forward, prevent them from continuing to grow and scale within their business and if they try and push past that it will have devastating results it'll it's likely to topple and potentially fall and collapse a business if these flaws don't get addressed <coughs> excuse me and the second uh, most common flaw and one of the biggest problems is around leadership it's about the lack of understanding of the importance that we have to put on being a people-centric business. Now let me quickly explain. Businesses that do poorly, businesses that struggle to perform, businesses that are at risk of potentially growing and collapsing are the ones that put systems and processes a higher priority than people. Businesses fail when systems and processes are more important than people and yet in every environment in every sector even throughout covid and lockdown and without having to sell masks and sanitizers there are businesses that have done exceptionally well in really quite challenging circumstances and it's usually the ones that are people-centric that have got the people and the stakeholders in the business as the core importance of who they are and what they do and whilst they've got systems and processes and the importance and need to be able to have both of these, they understand the need for these to be flexible enough to support the people. And that comes from management. It comes from the top down. It comes from being able to have a culture and a value statement within a business that recognises the need for people and for everyone in the business, including the business owner, the senior leadership team, managers, team leaders, to be able to engage and buy into the needs to support its people. Don't forget, um, the first and most common floor of business was all around business and business planning and the lack of understanding of a business plan. And yet one of the caveats to that, 
was where they had a senior leadership team and they brought in a new senior hire. They'd recruited or pinched or poached somebody from elsewhere. They got somebody new into the business at quite a senior level who felt the need to go off and be a maverick and do something to prove themselves, to prove their worth in the business, to show their presence and took them away from the plan. So leadership in itself is key and important to a business, but leadership that ties together with joined up writing and understands the impact that we have and how we all contribute to the same common goal is critical if we're going to be able to grow significantly and sustainably. So over the remaining time in this podcast, I want to talk about some of the findings of the book from Tom Rath and Barry Conchi called Strengths-Based Leadership, um, coupled with the master's degree I've got in international business and uh, leadership and development, and 25 odd years uh, of looking at this from a variety of different aspects, from being an employee and an employer, from being a leader and being led, and from some general understandings and observations around what makes a strong leader model. So, first of all, there's a need to build trust. And I've often found that trust is an interesting word and people's perception of it is completely different. I don't know whether it's an ancestral thing, I don't know whether it's an age-related thing, but certainly there is an older generation, still in employment and still around and doing business, there's an older generation that believes that trust is awarded with position and rank and stature. That by the very fact that I've been promoted to manager or to team leader or to director or area manager or any of these glorified titles determines that the people that they are managing need to trust them. It's an expectation that because I now have this role, you will trust me to make the right decisions. And that's not the case at all. In fact, in a younger generation, it's almost the opposite. They've almost witnessed time and time and time again, either in their own lifetime or that through their parents or their older siblings or grandparents, as people have placed trust in somebody else and been continually let down. That trust has been ill-founded or not based on values and acknowledgement and culture, but more of expectation. And as a result, a younger generation will question that level of trust or that expectation of trust. You're already on the back foot if there's the assumption that trust is given as opposed to earned. So first of all, a manager to move into leadership needs to be able to trust people in order to become trusting. We must first demonstrate that we have trust in others if we expect people to subsequently trust ourselves. We've got to give before we receive. We've got to be able to exemplify what trust means and that prevents us from any form of micromanagement. Micromanagement is the, it's the opposite of trust. 
It's about being able to take responsibility away from anybody and everything. To be able to say it's mine. Ownership. And all of a sudden that depreciates trust. It prevents a relationship building of proper, long-going, ongoing trust. And as a result becomes a weak leader that people are unwilling to follow, don't, don't believe in. And the culture breaks down and, and it all falls apart. So the first thing is about being able to, what are you doing to demonstrate trust of the people with whom you want to be trusted in order that they can build a like-for-like -like relationship with you? That's inclusive of your employees, of your compadres in fellow management, of your suppliers, of your customers, of your competitors. We have to have and demonstrate a level of trust of others if we want to be able to exhume or receive some trust in return. And that was the first of the four strengths that they identified in their strengths-based leadership book uh, that's also acknowledged um, across many other researchers across the world around the importance of leadership. Now, once we've created trust, once we've started to establish rapport and people are comfortable and happy with us, the second of those skills and those strengths is the ability to show compassion. Now, you might think that what's compassion got to do with leadership? But certainly from a former military perspective and looking at the people with whom were my leaders and my, uh, my managers and my uh, leadership team throughout my military career, those who exhumed the most trust were also the ones that didn't treat us all the same. That were willing to be able to get to know each and every one of us individually and to demonstrate a level of compassion that acknowledged that we are people, not just bums on seats there to do a job. They were able to develop and lead the whole person as opposed to just the rank and role that we held at the time. Rather than it being a nine till five, leadership is about being able to embellish and, and help the entire persons to grow 24 seven. And that means that we need to understand who they are and treat them as individuals, acknowledge them as such, show a little bit of compassion, show a little bit of interest and empathy towards somebody is a great method of being able to expect the same from them also. There is the need to be able to be a lot more compassionate. I strongly believe that because of the last decade or so, both in this generation and the former generations, where there seems to have been this trend of almost bullshit baffles brains, where we can say one thing and do something else, where we can over-promise uh, over and then under-deliver and get away with it. There's, there's been a, a whole tide of discord and distrust that the tide has turned. I genuinely believe, I honestly and genuinely believe that honesty and transparency and vulnerability are actually currencies these days because of the weight that they hold compared to all of the do as I say, not do as I say, uh, do uh, from the past that we've seen um, in previous lives or previous uh, existences in business um, and, and experiences of life. I genuinely believe that the need to be compassionate and to expect and look for compassion to be an emotive leader and an emotional leader to be able to show a little bit of um, humanity 
as opposed to there's no chinks in the armour. The bull-nosed, hard-nosed manager, I believe, is something that is becoming a lot more um, rare to, to, to see a successful um, uh, on its route to potential extinction compared to the person that is able to be able to encourage people to come with us, motivate and inspire people to follow us as opposed to demand and expect of it. So the second of these strengths that we've, we've identified across many different leaders and managers around the, around the world from various different businesses and sectors and industries, people at the very, very top and height of their, of their profession are the ones that, one, are able to show trust and therefore receive trust, are able to show compassion and therefore receive compassion, to treat people as human beings singular not collective to treat people individually and acknowledge that to do so takes time and effort and consideration and more energy and more more thought but in actual fact creates a far better leader with a far more um, interested uh, obliging um, and voluntary follower as opposed to command and control the third of the strengths was all about stability. Now you might argue if we've shown compassion then how on earth can we start talking about stability because that's more 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 bullnose and carry on. But if people want to lead they have to have the confidence of their own convictions. A leader cannot be a follower. A leader cannot be um, I'll go with the consensus. There's various different styles of management. We can manage from the front, we can manage from a side, we can manage from the rear by, by driving people forward. There's various different styles of management, but there's a single style of effective leadership. And that's about conviction. It's about one, a little bit of compassion and an acknowledgement as to if and when we get it wrong, to hold our hands up and say we're human we got it wrong as opposed to try and hide it under the carpet and hope that nobody noticed but there is the need to try and create stability even in the most unstable of environments like we've just been through at the point of recording this we're we're coming towards the the second year since coronavirus first came to existence and interrupted the, the planet with regards to how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis but there is a need for leaders to be able to hold the ship in a terrible storm. A, lead, a leader needs to be able to step forward. And even though we might have swan syndrome, where underneath the water we're paddling like mad in order to be able to maintain that serene uh, looking uh, movement above the water. There's the need to be able to have stability. And not to be frantic, running around, headless chicken. A leader, in order to be able to lead and have followers, must be able to take command and control. And to be able to take into consideration other people's um, voices and concerns and feedbacks. But to ensure that we have a plan to follow and the abilities to stick to it and follow it. There is the need for a leader to be able to hold firm as opposed to buckle and fall at the first fence in order to be able to walk towards challenge and risk and concern as opposed to run away and hope that it doesn't happen to us. The third of the key strengths of strengths-based leadership is about a de demonstration of stability and not stubbornness 
but stability to be able to hold firm when perhaps others seeking somebody to be able to believe in. The fourth and the most important, I believe, of all of the strengths around strengths-based leadership is around hope. It's around optimism and positivity. It's around being able to look beyond the here and now of perhaps challenge and difficulty and uncertainty and continues to sow the seed of what's next, of reminding people of the vision, the mission, the goals, the aspirations of what it is that we're aiming to achieve and not to get caught up in the minutiae of here and now so much so that we lose focus and lose direction and subsequently starts to fall off course. It's never ever been more important, particularly in a time of difficulty and time of challenge and uncertainty, to create stability and positivity. There's a lovely line from um, Saving Private Ryan, the, the phenomenal film from Tom Hanks, and they're walking through a field, they've already sadly lost one of their section whilst out trying to get towards finding where Private Ryan is. And they're all having a bit of a whinge and a moan about this particular task and why they are, why a whole team have been put at risk to save a single individual and a private soldier at that. And they're all having a bit of a whinge and a moan other than the captain, Tom Hanks. Why aren't you complaining, Captain? Says one of the corporals. And he replies, well, because I'm a captain. I don't complain to you. You complain to me as your leader. I might complain to my leader, but complaints go up, not down. You will only ever hear from me motivation and inspiration and, and instruction and guidance and certainty. I complain up, you complain up. You don't complain down. But the corporal tries to check, catch him out. And he says, well, Captain, hypothetically, if I was a major and therefore your superior, what would you then say about this mission? And the captain, without even a, a, a shadow of a, a, a second of thought, says, well, sir, I think this is a perfect mission and a great use of our resources to be able to relocate Private Ryan with his, um, with his estranged family and his bereaved family um, and a, a phenomenal opportunity for us to be able to serve uh, you and our country to the best possible resources. And if as a reason for doing so and as a result of doing so we were to lose life I'm sure, even if it's you, Corporal so-and-so and whatever his name was, I can't remember the, the names that I'm terrible with names, even if it was down to you, Corporal, then it would be a fair exchange because we know that the plan is being followed and somebody somewhere has come up with a game plan that's taken all of that into consideration, sir. And the rest of the team look and say, yeah, you can see why he's a leader, can't you? That, that, that's just brilliant. I love him. And, and, and they carry on walking along the way. It's that type of leadership that we all should look for. So if you've got nothing else to, better to do this evening, then why not go on to Netflix or um, Amazon Prime or wherever it is that you access your films and, and remind yourself of Saving Private Ryan from Tom Hanks. Great film, exceptional, exceptional examples of leadership.
Listen, I hope you've got something from today. I guess my questions are, what are you going to do about this? Because it's all right listening to a podcast, but I'd be really interested to learn about how you've experienced leadership in, in your lifetime. Um, are you currently a leader? Who are you leading? How are you leading? What has today taught you about some of the strengths and potentially weaknesses that you may have that you might need to address? In conclusion, I want to share with you a few final thoughts about how you can implement the things that I've talked about today to be able to make a real difference to both you and the environment and the circumstances that you find yourself in, either as a leader in business or in, in life. Number one, invest in your people. I don't just mean in cash, I mean in time and thought and consideration. Spend time as a leader looking at the team with whom you wish to lead and determine what do you need to do in order to lead them well. Spend time and consideration and effort and resource to be able to get to know each and every person of those with whom you wish to lead in order to inspire them to be led. I recall in 1996, I think it was, maybe 94 or 96, somewhere around there, in the mid-90s, um, prior to our regiment's deployment to Bosnia as part of the Bosnia-Herzegovina crisis. We had a commanding officer with whom was quite extraordinary. He was quite a maverick in the senior leadership team. Um, he, he broke away from the traditions of military doctrine and discipline in order to be able to forge his own path. And many of his compadres thought that he was a loose cannon because he didn't conform to traditional military discipline in many different aspects. But when he was looking for volunteers to go on the advance party into a war zone, almost all, and when I say almost all, more than 95% of his management stepped forward and said, if you're going to, I'm going to. Regardless of their marital circumstances and the fact that we're believing wives or husbands and family at home, despite the fact that we're leaving the comfort and the safety of a garrison to be able to move into a threatening war zone, as it were, if he's going, so are we. And that was achieved through months and months and months of exceptional leadership in garrison, in barracks, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, hour-to-hour basis. I know that within our regiment there were almost 800 soldiers, about 780, 790 soldiers. And yet the commanding officer, the overall leader of our group, knew each and every person by name. Not just their surname, because in the military we're all surname first, but the majority of us by our first name also. He knew how many soldiers were married. So he needs to ask you whether, how's your wife or your husband? Or are you dating anyone at present, if they were single? If you've got kids, 
he remembered that you'd got kids. He might not have remembered how many and their ages and the names, but there's 800 people in the business. But he got to know each and every soldier well enough, months and months and months in advance. He treated us all as individuals, even though we all wore the same Queen's uniform. He invested in us sufficiently that at the point of time where he needed to step forward and become a leader and to lead us into battle, more than 95% volunteered to follow him. Invest in your people. Make your whole business, make your whole entity all around being able to be people-centric. The next conclusion I've drawn is the importance to be able to recognise strengths of others and to be able to pull on those strengths to build a strong team. A manager builds a team around them that tends to keep them centric to the necessity and the, the needs of the business. A manager tends to get some help and support to do this and some help and support to do that somebody to help me do this and somebody to help me do that but keeps me core to the business and the downside to that is you can never progress and as soon as they're busy this can't progress otherwise you're going to end up with helpers of helpers of you to stay centric in the business the business isn't sellable or evolvable because it all revolves around you and that's not leadership, that's, that's poor management. Leaders build strong teams. They don't look for people to support them. They look for people who can do elements of what they were doing better than you can. And then help and support and guide and mentor and coach them to become even better. A leader looks to be able to build a team to which they become supernumerary to. They help form winning teams. And we can only do that by recognising the strengths and weaknesses of others. And then pooling the strengths together to ensure that everybody is doing the right thing in the right way at the right time in order to be able to achieve the right results. I think key to any of this is, back to the commanding officer's example, is the need for leaders to be able to understand each and individual person as opposed to people. The need to be able to spend some time, effort, resource, whatever it takes, in order to be able to understand individuals' needs and for us to support those in order for them to be their best at what they do. You can't be the very best at what you do if you're compromised by also having to do X and Y and Z or to have other considerations and concerns at play. A leader's job is to be able to take consideration of all those other things so the person that you're leading can just be good at what they do. To concentrate all their efforts on being brilliant, knowing that everything else is taken care of by the by the quartermaster by by, by the, uh, the the support element and then finally to acknowledge your own weaknesses to continually look at the chinks in your own armor a leader acknowledges weakness 
as much as they do acknowledge strength. A leader doesn't shy away from weakness, doesn't say, well, I'm not very good at that, so I'll do this instead. The difference between a leader and leading, and those being led, a leader creates an environment for teams to become brilliant by taking care of all the other things so they can just concentrate on being brilliant. But they also acknowledge that what am I not good at? What have I got to get better at so there aren't chinks in my weaknesses? There's a lovely quote from Jocko Wilnick, the, um, the, the American Navy SEAL, um, who brought out, again, a phenomenal book I read early last year called Extreme Ownership. And there's a lovely quote in there. And he says, success is not by what you achieved, not measured by the things that you achieve. True success is measured by what you tolerate. What he means by that, or the context in which he's delivered that, is we can all achieve a certain level of success, but beyond a certain level, to get to the optimum level of success, it's about looking at all of the different tiny little chinks in the armour and addressing them. Walkings towards weakness and addressing the weakness so it ceases to be a weakness, as opposed to pushing it once to one side to stand in the limelight and continually find strengths and live in strengths. A strengths-based leader acknowledges weakness and works so much towards overcoming that as opposed to simply fobbing it off and trying to become better at the things that they're already good at. I'll conclude today's first ever video podcast with a reminder of something that I was first taught when I was first promoted to Lance Corporal in the British Army all those many years ago. I'm forever grateful to WO1 Mick Germain RSM at the time that I was promoted to Lance Corporal. WO1 Germain took me on one side and he congratulated me on becoming a Lance Corporal and he said congratulations Lance Corporal Ireland you've now earned the right to be of service to others. And I looked at him a little bit bemused. Sir, I've just got my first Lance Corporal. I've now got a half section to be able to manage. And he said, yes. And if you wish to maintain that stripe and earn any more, you'll learn that your role is to support them and not the other way around. It took me a long time to be able to acknowledge the importance of what he'd shared. But it's crucial to becoming anything from a weak to a mediocre manager to an exceptional strengths-based leader.